Good morning, everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through to chapter 2, verse 5. Um, you can find it on, the, on page 954 of the Pew Bibles, or it'll come up on the screen behind me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Thank you, Mel. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be with you all as we worship God together and in this moment as we come before God and his word. For those who don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and so, yeah, it's my privilege and responsibility this morning to bring you God's word. But it's something we do together. This is very much all of us are gathering around God's word. I've had the, the joy and the delight, the, the, the struggle of working through this passage in the week. But all of us are coming before it now. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll approach it together. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you it's your truth to us, and we thank you it reveals who you are and what it means to be one of your followers in this world. I ask this morning that your spirit is powerfully at work through the people in this room and across the screen, that my words are yours, that we're shaped more into likeness of Jesus, and that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, do any of you know what uh, this is? I recognise there's nothing there, but something. If I, if I give it a bit of, bit of that. The world's smallest violin. Yes. Everybody, who knew that? Hands up if you knew that. A few people love that. Yeah, my in-laws put their hands up because they were the ones that introduced it to me. Um, I don't know if it was a particular moment. But you use the world's smallest violin for something that's a bit superficial in the way we suffer. Right? Something bit, you know, it's not quite that serious. You get the out for the world's smallest violin. Now, in our family at the moment, we have a bunch of streaming services, but you may have heard that Netflix is now canning family sharing. This is a travesty, right? If you haven't heard that and you have family sharing on Netflix, this is some suffering that we're all going to go through. Maybe it's like you go to a wedding. Uh, we, all, we might go to a wedding and you're really wanting the lamb or something 
and they give it to every second person, and then you get the sautéed chicken mushroom business, and you're like, oh, that was a devastation. Superficial suffering, right? But there's some things that we will like, well, we're willing to suffer for. Or we can kind of see the benefits when we go about it, like going to the dentist. That's a bit of a, a something that's not that pleasant that we go through, or perhaps going to the doctor, uh, something like that. We might go to the petrol station, well, we do go to the petrol station at ridiculous $2 a litre to fill up our car. It gets a bit more significant with our suffering. And then there's things which we're passionate about. Things that we were literally and intentionally gun for. And we will go for it no matter the suffering that may come. Fun fact for you all, the, the original word for, for suffering comes from the Latin word um, to, to be passionate. Suffering and passion have the same root word. And so as much as we don't want suffering, and it may not be enjoyable, we will endure suffering if we can see the goal. When we see the result and we know that it's worth it. Now that's exactly what goes on in Colossians here today. Uh, Paul he's, says he's rejoicing in his suffering because he sees it as an essential element for people to be reached for Christ, for people to be grown in, in maturity. He suffers for Christ because it's worth it. Now, if you're new to uh, the morning service, to what we're doing at Naui, we're going through this series at the moment, Captivated by Christ, uh, in Colossians. So to kind of catch us all up, let me paint the scene of what's going on in the letter here as we dig into it. Paul's writing to a group of people in Colossae, and they're under a bit of threat, under a bit of danger, because people are trying to pull them away from Christ. Pull them away from, from him, false teachers, the wise ways of the world. They're looking beyond Jesus for some kind of hope in, for eternity and how to live in the present. Much like our culture today, right? People trying to pull us away, subconsciously or consciously, away from him. Now in chapter 1, Paul's encouraged them, he's prayed for them. And then last week we saw when Ange preached the, the, the 15 through to 23 of chapter 1, that Christ is supreme. Paul wants to hold up Christ as who he truly is, supreme, powerful over everybody, all things, all powers, uh, and Christ is more than enough for us to be reconciled to God. Then he gets very personal. He gets from this kind of big cosmic idea of who Christ is, what it means uh, for us to know who he is, and he starts talking about himself, about how he's a servant for the gospel. He's captured a vision, he's got a partial heart, uh, for the church. And that's what we read about here in verses 24 through to chapter 2, verse 5. So as we explore it today, we're going to explore it through the lens of Paul, who he was. He's writing it from his perspective. And so what does it look like for him to labor and then for us to be inspired to follow in the way of Jesus as he does? So please do have it open in front of you. And as Mel read it for us before, you would have seen that Paul is about a person who has a life as a suffering servant. He's a life of a suffering servant. That's what all Christians are to be. We follow in the way of Jesus as the suffering servant. And Paul is willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. If you have a look at verse 24, he says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I feel up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, there's lots of... Strange things that's kind of going on there, especially in the second half of that verse. But when you hear suffering, you think about that for yourself, a whole manner of things is going to come up for you. 
Uh, it's, it's a big trigger word for us. Uh, we might have experienced it in a really significant way. And especially when we read about it in the Bible, we can never just brush over it. It impacts us some way. We react. And part of the reason, just part, there may be personal things that go on, but in our culture at large, we live in a very much a pain and a pleasure kind of culture. And our default position is to avoid suffering. Our culture generally says if it's pleasurable, it's good. And if it's painful, it's bad. Now, Paul wants to show us a different way. A different way to understand and uh, endure and rejoice through suffering. Now, the first thing to note about what Paul is uh, suffering for is that he's suffering for the church. This is not about him in this passage. This is about others. It's about the church. He says, I'm suffering for you for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church. So let me be clear, what this passage is talking about is not an overall theology of suffering. It's not how can a good God allow evil? What does it look like to come to God amidst our suffering? Great, they're good, appropriate questions to ask. That's not what this passage is talking about. Paul's focus here is that he will intentionally chase after Christ and if that results in suffering, then he's going for it. Now we know that the suffering that Paul is enduring here is because he's in prison. He's literally physically suffering for, uh, for Christ and sharing the gospel. We know from other parts of his story, plenty of persecution. He's whipped, he's gone without food, he's given away his prestigious role as a Pharisee, uh, gone much lower in the social hierarchy of that day, directly suffering uh, as a Christian. That's his kind of suffering. Now we don't necessarily experience that physical kind of suffering, but we'll see the ways that uh, we walk in this way too. He then goes on to the strange thing of, I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now, when you heard that, I don't know what you thought, but it is a strange thing. It almost sounds heretical. How can this be right? Now, the first thing to say is what Paul is not saying. He is not saying that Christ's death is somehow insufficient to bring forgiveness and salvation. Christ is the suffering servant. He, is, he goes before us, he suffers on the cross, dies and rises again. And that moment is the time where he atones for our sin. He makes us right with God. Paul doesn't add to that. We don't add to that. Christ is enough. So Paul can't be saying that there's something lacking in order for them to be saved. He's not saying that. So what could it mean? What does it mean to, to fill up his flesh? He's chasing after this. He's enduring it. He's going for it, rejoicing. What does it mean? Now, many of the commentators point to the fact that Christ is united with the church. And if Christ is so united with the church, when the church experiences suffering, it's like Christ is experiencing suffering. So he's walking in the way of, of Christ, persecution comes, and he's, in, in a sense, experiencing that along with Christ. But what it also means is that although Christ has 100% accomplished salvation for people, that message still has to go out. The people haven't heard about the message of salvation yet. Um, Martin Luther has this quote, and he says, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. The suffering that Paul is, is enduring and filling up in his flesh is to see other people reached, to see other people reached for Christ, and he's going to, I'll fill my flesh up in order that they can know and be grown into who Christ is. You can think about it this way. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. 
Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. Right? We labor, we toil, we sacrifice, we invest in order for other people to know the hope through which they've been called, to know the beauty that it is to be in relationship with God. And Paul saying, man, I'm sold in that vision. And I'm going to fill up my flesh with the suffering in order for people to know that. That is what he is on about. Then he goes on to explain a bit more about what that looks like in verse 25. He says, I become a servant by the commission of God to present the word of God to you in its fullness. He starts talking about this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the Lord's people. Right? Paul is literally a servant of God. This is not his mission. This is God-given mission. This is God's given commission to him and, by extension, the church. And he uses this word mystery. Now, for us, that's a bit strange. Mystery, we don't really talk in that kind of language. In a simple sense, when he's referring to mystery, he's referring to the gospel. That people from all nationalities, every ethnicity, tribe, nation can come into a relationship with God through Christ. Before that was veiled, it was unknown how God would do that. But then in Christ, it has now been made known and everyone has access to, who, to, to, to God. And then we're given this really beautiful, um, succinct summary of that in verse 27. Basically, the result of the gospel. He says, we have Christ in you, the hope of glory. A Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's such a beautiful, present privilege of what that means for you and for me. For anyone who's in Christ. It means that Christ is in you. It's not only that Christ looks at you if you're a follower of him and says, mine my child, true, 100%. But Christ is in you. He looks at you and says, home. You're my home. I'm in you, walking with you. That's an amazing present privilege. And then we have this future confidence, the hope of glory. Because Christ physically come, he will physically come back again. He'll usher in the kingdom where there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain perfect eternity live with him uh, forever that 100% hope that Christ is within us he will come again pulls us forward keeps driving us with that certain hope and that is why the suffering can result in rejoicing that's why Paul can say in verse 24 man I'm going to rejoice in this because that is what happens in a person he's fulfilled his commission suffering is worth it it's much like a person who goes on a run, this business between Christians and suffering. Now, when a person goes on a run, they always get tired. It's just part of running. If you went for a run and you didn't get tired, you'd probably ask, well, did I really go for a run? Paul is saying here, when we're a Christian, we will endure suffering. That's the nature of what it means to walk in the way of Christ, to want to see his name be made known. Now, a runner doesn't love feeling pain, doesn't love that tightness in the chest of being out of energy, the pain in the legs. That's not joyful. It doesn't, we don't delight in those things. But the goal of the fitness, the health, the competition to win, whatever, that drives a runner. Paul is driven by the vision of seeing people come to know who Jesus is. So, friends, for us, what this paints is that faith is not about being comfortable. And I realize that's a hard word to hear. We want comfort. I want comfort. But faith is not about being comfortable. 
Jesus, when he was on earth and he was speaking about all sorts of things that we read about in the Gospels, his way of life for the Christian is summarized so well in pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus is the suffering servant and he calls us to follow him. But as we die to ourselves, we find life and actual beauty and goodness and hope in him for eternity. So if you're a Christian, it's worth asking that we more follow after the comforts of the world or the cause of Christ. And that's something I've been asking myself this week. Do we, am I chasing after the comforts of the world or the cause of Christ? Now, to continue in the passage, Paul has said that he suffers, he labors in the church. And then we see this overall vision, this kind of grand vision that Paul has, the vision that's kind of caused the suffering that he chooses to embrace. We see in verse 28, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, fully mature in him. And he's going to strenuously contend with all the energy he has so that can be a reality. Friends, if Paul had like a, a resume, you know when you write a resume and you might have like a purpose statement on the top? He would write very close to that, I reckon. Very close to... This is my purpose in life. I'm going to labor, I'm going to suffer in order to see people become mature in him. I'll strenuously contend for the cause of Christ. Now, to be fully mature in Christ is a very loaded, it's a full phrase. When I was in my last year of college, I did a study on the Greek word and there's so much going on. I'll be very succinct here. To just give like the most simplest terms, to be mature in Christ means that a person has Jesus as Lord. A mature person has Jesus as Lord, and Jesus is the center of that person's life. And that person will therefore live every aspect as if Christ were living it for them. Living as if living for Christ in every area of life. Christ is Lord, He is the center living for him in all areas of life. That is the mature person. And that is the vision that Paul has. It's not just a good idea for him. It's not just a thought. Um, he strenuously contends for it. In the Greek, they use the word agazomai, which sounds a lot like and where we get the English word agony from. He's like, I'm going to be in agony in order to see this happen in other people, in order to see them flourish putting in the yards, you know when you're like, if you're in a study stage of your life, you're cramming for an assignment, you're a parent, you want to see your children flourish, you have a project at work or at home and you, can, you, you put in the effort, you labor to see that thing come to reality. The Christian puts in the effort and struggles in a way to go above and beyond to see others grow, to see others mature into the likeness of Christ. And as he's captured by that vision, and if we are captured by that vision, verse, the, the end of verse 29 is incredibly helpful, inspiring and also challenging. He says, I do this with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. He's laboring, toiling. The Christian works hard. It's not just grace stand back. It's grace-fueled life. But it's the energy that Christ works through him. It's like the fuel for a car. The fuel makes it go. We drive and steer. We're chasing after Christ. Christ gives us the energy. 
It's as though Paul labours, but God fuels and sustains. That's us too. We labour, but God fuels and sustains us. Christ in us. We get the joy, but he gets the glory. So we ask, to where and to whom are we, who are we contending for? Who are we strenuously contending that they can know Christ to grow in him? Where in your life are those places, those spaces that you go, that you meet with people, that you're in their sphere of influence, uh, where you can be the presence of Christ to them, so they can know him and grow in him? Think of the people, specific people, the specific places that you go where you work, where you're a blessing to society and the ambassador for Christ there. And friends, I'm not professing I've nailed it in any way, shape or form. I'm inspired by this vision, inspired by what God has set out for all of us, the vision that Paul is living out. He's sold out for Jesus. He's captivated by Christ and he's living it. So friends, let's, let us consider. Like, maybe write down the names. Think about who they are, the places Work, family, sporting team, your arts class, your social circle, your community group, whatever it may be. Your home group. Who are we strenuously contending for with the energy Christ works within us to see them come into maturity? So what we've seen by Paul so far is that he's a suffering servant. He's captivated by the vision of God uh, and living to see that vision be fulfilled. Then we move into the beginning of chapter 2, where he talks about the goal, what this kind of achieves, the kind of outcome that happens as this is lived out. This is the goal that's worth suffering for. When you work through the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I want you to know, he's, he's saying that, you know, please know, work with me, we're, we're laboring after the Lord. My goal is that you'll be encouraged in heart, you'll be united in love. You've got to know the riches of Christ, the mystery that you're called to, namely Christ, in whom you have all the hidden wisdom, treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and all of this to tell you so that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And then we get to the back end of verse 5. He sums it up with that you are firm in faith. That's the goal, to be firm in faith, living it out, not swayed. And friends, this is a picture of Christian maturity. If there's a specific picture about what maturity looks like in this passage, it's these verses. But it's maturity in community. It's not just you individually. It's not, yeah, it is you, but it's us. It's in community that this happens. To break up that kind of you know, stand firm goal into four things that Paul says, he says that they want, he wants them to be encouraged in heart. In such a way that they'll stand by one another. Sorry, they'll, they'll encourage one another by standing with each other. Encouraging one another along, reminding each other of the gospel, the hope to which they've individually and together been called. Encouraged, stand by one another. And then an extension of that, they're united in love. They're not divided. They're so united. They stand together. People who love one another don't leave. They remain united together no matter what comes. That's the goal for the church, that we're united for Colossians and for us. And in the back and second half of verse 2 into verse 3, Paul exalts Christ. So you want to, you've got to know the truth in Christ, the mystery, the wisdom, the treasures that are in him. When you have the truth in Christ, you know where to stand. 
You know where to stand. You know who to stand on. And then that extends into the fourth thing, which is that you have great discernment. Cultural discernment. To know what to avoid. By having the full understanding of the riches of Christ, you know what things of the world are not of Him. What things are worthless. Like my kids have um, play money at home. And they've got big $100 bills, $50 bills, and they think they're loaded, right? But one day they're going to grow up a little bit more and realize that is worthless because they have discernment to know this paper money isn't actually worth anything. When you're chasing after Jesus, when you have the riches of Christ, you will see the things of this world and they'll look attractive, they'll look amazing, but they are fake $100 bills. They are worthless. And that's what it looks like to be mature. So friends, as we look over uh, what Paul has said, as we kind of stand back now and, and see the passage as a whole, we see that Paul, as we saying a bunch of times, he has a desire to see people grow. He's going to suffer for it. That God-given vision. And that all means for us as Christians, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we must have the marks of suffering in our life in some way, shape or form but it's worth it. Like a runner running and getting tired and achieving the goal, a Christian lives for the cause of Christ and will experience some level of suffering, but it's 100% worth it. Now, to be clear, suffering is not the goal. It's not like, okay, we've got to have some suffering now. The goal is let's pursue the cause of Christ and as that happens, uh, suffering will result as we participate with the work of Christ in the world. There's this great quote by an Australian pastor named Richard Chin. He wrote a book on Colossians. It's called Captivated by Christ, where part of where we got our inspiration for this series. And he said this uh, in talking about this part of the passage. He said, Here then is God's infallible strategy to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus, to have a world which knows Jesus. Here it is, the prayerful proclamation to the nations through suffering. That's God's infallible strategy prayerful proclamation of Christ to nations through suffering. Friends, we want to be faithful followers of Jesus. We need to expect and we need to embrace that we will suffer. And when we do that, people will notice. They will notice. When I, um, before I went to Bible college, I worked for a construction company called Lippman. And commercial contractor and great job. Long story short, decided that Elizabeth and I decided that we were called by God uh, to pursue vocational ministry in some way, shape, or form. Now, I had three months before college started. I still wanted to keep working. By the grace of God, uh, they allowed me to keep working there. Now, in that three months, that was just the most incredible opportunity I had to share about Jesus. I was still working for them, or being a blessing to society, but I was able to be, um, share about who Christ was, what he meant to me. And for them, it was real. It was significant. It meant something to them. I was talking about Christ the whole time I was there in some way. But in that moment, when they knew I was leaving that job in order to pursue vocational ministry, it was, that was mind-blown. I remember one of my mates were on a very similar trajectory. I spoke to him and I told him about what I was doing and um, told him about Christ. And then a month later, he came back to me and he said, Matt, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. Like, why are you doing this? Your wife is seven months pregnant. You're about to get a promotion. Like, things are going good. Why are you throwing that away? And he could see that 
in that moment, Christ was worth more to me than all those things we were achieving at work. And I'm not saying this to kind of blow my own trumpet in any way, shape or form. I'm saying that when we suffer for the cause of Christ, he is exalted. That people will look at us and go, what is going on? This Christ person that we follow must be worth something. And friends, I know that's not all of our stories. And you need to keep encouraging me to, to continue to take, take sacrificial steps. It's not just a one and done. We continue uh, after Jesus. It's 100% worth it. So friends, let this passage inspire you. Let the way of Paul and, and Jesus inspire us. Thus, where are the marks of suffering in our life for others? When we look at how we live, is there a tangible marker that shows we live for Jesus and not ourselves? Now, there's so many ways that we could be doing this. It's probably not going to be that physical suffering that Paul is undergoing. Um, That may happen to us in the future. We don't know. Uh, It certainly happens to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. We certainly might suffer socially, but there should be a tangible difference. And especially for us living in suburban Sydney. One of the ways for us to expect and embrace suffering is through sacrifice. The ways we sacrifice our time, our talents, our treasure, our money, that is going to be the hardest thing for us to want to suffer for, to embrace. But when we generously use our gifts and our abilities, our skills, when we give up our time, when we sacrificially are generous with our money, we bear the marks of suffering as a result of that. Who knows how Christ will use it? He's going to bring the growth. But our lifestyle will literally be changed. When we're captivated by Christ, when we're living for him, our lifestyle will look different. It'll look different to our neighbors. We will have materially less. We won't have the same stuff that they have. We will be less popular perhaps. But we will be walking in the way of Jesus. We'll be seeing his name go out will be captured by wanting to see people come to maturity in him and find hope and forgiveness that he has. This week I came across a story about it from a man named William Borden, a 25-year-old guy living in the late 1800s. He was a millionaire, but he walked away from it all and he went to be uh, a missionary overseas. After a few months, he contracted meningitis and died. One of his friends asked him, was coming to Egypt a mistake? He didn't have enough energy to talk, so he just wrote down on a piece of paper, no regrets, died. Buried outside in in Cairo, a very plain-looking tombstone with his name, a couple of details, and then this phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from Christ, there is no There is no explanation for such a life. Friends, that's what it looks like to be captivated and to suffer for Christ for his cause. That's what these scriptures are calling us towards. Whether that's in the really small things or the large things in life. When we're captivated by him, people will look at us and go, there is no explanation for such a life apart from faith in Christ. And friends, we will get the joy... God will get the glory and other people will come to know who he is. Other people will experience the forgiveness and the life in him. And that is a vision worth suffering for, for the glory of his name.
Let me pray for us. Father, this call to suffering is not one that we want. Father, it's hard to want to expect suffering. It's even harder to endure it. Doing things knowing that we will suffer for your name. But Father, help us to be captivated by your vision. To be captivated by who Christ is. And then when we chase after you, whatever suffering may come, we will rejoice in it because we know the hope to which we've been called and we know that you are working in and through us. We need your Holy Spirit to do this. Help us to labor and toil and we know that you will be the energy working through us. We ask this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.